Our sermon today is taken from Romans 8, 12 to 17. Here's the word of God. So then, brothers, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. Thus says the Lord. After I graduated high school in November of 1990, I joined the United States Army after becoming a member of one of the most powerful military forces in the world at that time, I quickly realized that I now had a brand new identity. My identity had changed from being that of just an ordinary civilian to now being a full-fledged military soldier. My new family included my fellow brothers in arms. I had now entered into a brand new relationship with my country that granted me certain obligations and privileges that I had never experienced before. For example, as a soldier, I was now obligated by oath to defend the Constitution of the United States and to obey the orders of the President of the United States. I was also obligated to be on my very best behavior at any and all times, to dress a certain way, and to even perform certain duties without question. I also had to be ready to be deployed to another country if necessary. Some of the privilege that I now had were things like cash bonuses, uh, free housing and education benefits, travel expenses, and health care, for example. And so this new identity that I was given as a soldier in the army was full of obligations and privileges that came along with it. And that's exactly what Paul wants to show us this morning in Romans chapter 8, that our new identity as children of God is full of certain obligations and privileges as well. First of all, we're privileged as believers to no longer be under the condemnation of the law. We're also privileged to have God's Holy Spirit living within us and granting us spiritual life that we may be obedient to God's laws. And because we've been blessed with these privileges, Paul wants us to see this morning that we are now obligated as Christians to live out our new identity as God's people by continuing on in the battle against the flesh and indwelling sin in our lives. And so Paul tries to encourage us in our obedience by listing some of the obligations and privileges that we enjoy as God's people in verses 12 through 17. So in order to better help us understand what these obligations and privileges are, we'll look at our, our text today under three headings. Three headings. Our new identity as God's children in verses 12 and four through 14. Our new experience as God's children in verse 15 and our new destiny as God's children in verses 16 and 17. But first, our new identity. Listen to what Paul says in verse 14. 
For all who are led by the Spirit are sons of God. Now let's not miss what Paul is saying here. He's telling us that all of us who are Christians, who are united to Jesus Christ by faith, are sons of God. We're all sons of God. Now the term sons of God occurs at least ten times in the Bible. and usually refers to God's covenant people those who are in a special relationship to God by faith. And in verses 12 through 17, Paul uses the term sons of God and children of God interchangeably to refer to both men and women alike. So if you're listening today and you have received Jesus Christ by faith, then you have been a completely new identity. and You are sons and daughters of God. You have a new identity. You know, Billy Graham was uh, an American evangelist and probably one of the most famous and influential Christians of the 20th century. His daughter Anne told a story from a human perspective of just what it meant to be a child of someone that powerful and influential. Listen to what she said. She said that sometimes people would travel to visit their father, Billy Graham, in North Carolina. Now, he lived in a log cabin that was up in the mountains that could only be accessed by this winding road. But the property was secured by a fence and a gate so that when people arrived, they would bang on the gate and they would yell, Billy Graham, Billy Graham, let me in. I've watched you on TV. I've read your books. I've even joined many of your revival meetings. And Billy Graham would say to them, depart from me. I don't know you. You're not a member of my family and you've not made arrangements to come and see me. But then, when Anne went on to explain that when she drove up that same driveway and banged on that same gate and said, Daddy, Daddy, this is Anne. I've come home. She said the gate would swing wide open for her, and she'd just come right in. Why? You see, because Billy Graham was her father. He loved her. And as her father, he had the sovereign right to decide who came in his house, and who stayed out. And that's what Paul is telling us here in verse 14, that heaven is God's home, and we are the children of God. And as his children, he loves us with a special kind of love. And he's given us a new identity and sovereignly invited us into his home that we might spend eternity with him. This, this is what Jesus means when he says, In my Father's house there are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you where I am, that where I am you may be also. Now like most things in life, even the privileges that we receive from God himself do not come to us without any obligations at all on our part. So Paul tells us that as Christians, we are debtors, right? And the word debtors is just another way of referring to our obligation to God as believers for all that he's done for us in Christ. All the privileges that are yours and mine in Christ. See, God has not only saved us from the penalty of sin, 
by punishing Jesus for us. But he's also saved us from the power of sin by regenerating our hearts and giving us spiritual life. This life we now live by the power of the Holy Spirit will one day lead to the resurrection of our physical bodies as well. So as Christians, we are all obligated. We all have a debt to pay in one sense. Now, before Paul describes what our obligation is, he wants us to first understand what we are not obligated to do as Christians. So he says in verse 12, We are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, Paul says, you will die. You see, as Christians, we have a brand new identity. We are not who we once were in the flesh when we lived our lives in sin and disobedience. No. As Christians, our our minds and hearts have been completely transformed by the power of God's Holy Spirit. So we owe nothing to the flesh. So Paul is telling us not to feed the flesh, but rather to starve it through living our lives a practical righteousness, practicing righteousness. What Paul means by the term flesh is not just uh, the body as it relates to sexual sin, but it's also that that self-reliant, me-first attitude, that old way of living that used to dominate our lives before we were believers. Because that's the way that you and I are sometimes tempted to live, even as Christians. So Paul is telling us that we owe nothing to that old way of life because we've all been saved by the Lord Jesus Christ and given a new identity. And that is not who we are anymore as Christians. So God calls us to abandon that old way of living and to live our new lives in the power of the Holy Spirit, to put to death the deeds of the body by the power of God's Spirit. Now, unfortunately for us, it's, not, it's just not that simple, right? Because as Christians, you know how intense and personal our struggle with sin can be in this life. Even Paul himself, as we saw in Romans chapter 7 a couple weeks ago, Paul himself struggled with sin in his own heart. He lived a life of constantly struggling and battling with sin. You see, we're all engaged in spiritual warfare as Christians, in an intense battle between the flesh and the spirit within us. So Paul encourages us to walk by the Spirit by setting our minds on the things of the Spirit as we battle against the lust of the flesh. You know, in ancient times, it was fitting for Christians in Rome to analyze their focus on life, to ask themselves what their lives were centered on. Was their lives centered on the things of the flesh or the things of the Spirit. And Paul is challenging us today to do the very same thing, to ask ourselves as Christians, are we living our lives according to the flesh? What do our actions as Christians communicate to other people on a daily basis? 
Is our very, the very language that we use bring glory to God? You know, some of us tend to busy ourselves by setting our minds on work, family life, shopping sprees, making investments and planning family vacations. Now, all these things in and of themselves are not bad. But if they start to consume us as Christians and take our minds off spiritual things, then that should be a red flag to us that something's going wrong. And so Paul tells us that our obligation is not to live according to the old sinful nature because now we belong to Christ and have been given a new identity as Christians. The next privilege that Paul wants us to see is that in Christ, we have received also a new experience as God's people. And that's our second point. Look at verse 15 with me. You have received the spirit of adoption as sons. Now, it's one thing to be given a new identity officially, but it's quite another thing to enjoy the actual experience and reality of it. And so what Paul is trying to tell us is that not only does the Holy Spirit unite us to the family of God and give us this new identity that we enjoy, but he also assures us inwardly and experientially that we belong to God's family. So Paul says that the Spirit was given to us to confirm in our hearts the truth that we are God's children, that we've been adopted by him and taken into his family. You know, I've often heard stories of families that have adopted children from other countries. And I think about sometimes, what would have happened to those kids if they had not been adopted into that family, into that Christian home? They would have had no one to love them or to provide for their needs. No mother or father to take care of them and to listen to their problems and assure them that things would be okay. Before they were adopted, many of them even struggled with hunger, sickness, suffering from the effects of years of physical, mental, and emotional abuse. And then one day, a loving Christian family comes along and brings that needy child into the safety of their very own home. And for the very first time in their lives, these kids experience genuine love from loving parents who only want what's best for them in life. And they now eat good food, wear expensive clothes, and learn what it's like to be a part of a loving, caring family where God is worshipped, where the Bible is read, and where all of their needs are brought before the throne of God in prayer. What a beautiful picture that is of our redemption from sin by the grace of God. See, Paul is trying to get us to understand that before we were adopted into God's family, we were all orphans. We were all lost in the world like sheep without a shepherd. We were all spiritually dead and suffering from the effects of years of physical, mental, and emotional abuse because of sin. And then one day, God came into our lives by the power of the Holy Spirit and brought us lovingly into his very own family 
transformed our hearts and renewed our minds and clothed us with the very righteousness of Christ. He also fed us with the truth of his word. And to this very day, he continues to lead us in paths of righteousness. He's also blessed us, many of us, to be given brothers and sisters in Christ, to share all of our burdens, our sorrows, and our trials, even our happiness, so that throughout eternity, all of us would enjoy the immeasurable riches that are in Christ Jesus. And so Paul wants us to know that this experience belongs to us. It's ours already in Christ. Because God has given us his spirit to confirm it in our hearts, inwardly. So as a Christian, you've received the spirit of adoption, which testifies that you all are sons and daughters of God. You belong to his family, body and soul. So the experience of the Holy Spirit not only assures us that we belong to God's family, but it also stirs up affection for God in our hearts. Look at verse 15 with me. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. Now, here Paul explains to us that the role of the spirit in our lives is to alleviate fear, to remove fear, to take it away. The old fear that we once had of God before we were adopted into his family. And what kind of fear did we have? Well, it was the fear of punishment, the fear of judgment, the feeling of no matter what we did, no matter how hard we tried, God was not pleased with us. But you see, this kind of fear is inconsistent with genuine love because as Christians, we are God's children and he is our father. And this reality of God himself being our father is what sets us free and enables us to serve him freely out of love, not out of duty, not because we feel obligated to do so, but because we delight in doing so. Because by definition, a son is not a slave who acts out of fear, but a son is one who acts out of faith and affection and love for his father. You know, on the Father's Day last year, my sons cleaned the entire house. Uh, their version of clean, however. And they made me these homemade Father's Day cards. When I realized uh, all the trouble that they went through just to make this day special for me as their father, I was moved to tears. Why? Because I knew that they did it out of love for me as their earthly father. Their little hearts were motivated by love and not fear. And so all their efforts, no matter how small or minute, meant the world to me as their father. And I really believe that this is how God sees the effort that we make on his behalf when we serve him freely out of love. And not because it's our duty, but rather because it's our delight as his people, as sons and daughters of God. And when we serve God in this way, 
He is genuinely pleased with us and will graciously reward us for everything that we do in behalf of his name, on behalf of his kingdom. So as Christians, we receive a brand new experience as God's children on earth, his earthly sons and daughters. The last privilege Paul wants us to see is our new destiny as God's children. Look at verse 17 with me. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. Now, Paul has already discussed some of the privileges that we enjoy as believers. We have a new identity as God's people. We've also been blessed to have a new experience as God's children on earth. But here in verse 17, Paul paints a glorious picture of the great privilege that we have as God's people, of our future destiny with God. Now that we've been adopted, we have an inheritance that belonged to us, right? We are heirs. You see, one of the, the main characteristics of a son is that he is his father's heir. So it is with us as Christians. We too have an inheritance an inheritance in glory. We will all share with the Lord Jesus Christ because we too are co-heirs with him. But just what is it that the Bible says that we are co-heirs of? What will we inherit as God's children? Well, let's look at a, a, a couple things really quickly. First, as, as Christians, we will inherit, the Bible says, the world. Romans 4.13 reads like this, For the promise to Abraham and his descendants that he would be heir of the world did not come through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. So God promised Abraham that he and his descendants would inherit the world through faith. Now the question is, do all Christians who have faith qualify then as Abraham's descendants? The answer is yes. Of course they do. Because in Galatians, Paul says that if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring according to the promise. So if you belong to Jesus Christ by faith, you are heirs of Abraham and primed to inherit the world. The same promise that God gave to Abraham is yours. Listen to what John Piper has to say concerning this. Are you at war with anyone over a mere earthly inheritance? Shame on you. Let them have it. You own the world, and it's only a matter of time before you receive it. You see what he's saying, don't you? That as Christians, we will one day inherit the world. What are you worried about things in life for, right? Secondly, as Christians, we will inherit the very presence of God himself. You get that? God himself is our inheritance. Revelation 3 puts it this way. Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. Listen to what one commentator said about this passage. He says this, 
Forbes magazines list the richest men in the world, richest men in the world each year, but always misses the absolute riches, the adopted sons of God. Beloved, we are rich. We are heirs of the unfathomable riches of Christ. What would this look like? We will all have spiritual bodies that will be imperishable and immortal. No longer will there be a curse. We will all also render eternal service to God whose face we'll see. Hallelujah. The day is coming when we will enter the full inheritance of the unfathomable riches of Christ. This, beloved, is our blessed inheritance. Should it not make the things of the earth grow strangely dim in the light of God's glory and his grace? Now, think about that for a minute. <laughs> Isn't that amazing? Have you ever wondered to yourself what it would be like to be the heir of some great inheritance, right? We've all seen those, uh, those Hallmark movies, right? Well, Paul is trying to make us understand that we are God's heirs and the recipients of the infinite abundance of his riches. You see, think about it. God owns everything. Everything on earth belongs to God. Everything in the universe belongs to God. Here's a story that may help drive this point home for us. In 2009, a pair of Hungarian brothers, Zost and Geza Pilati, they were homeless, right? They were so very poor that they lived outside of a cave in Budapest, scavenging junk for a living and selling things that they found on the street for mere pennies. Well, one day, a group of lawyers who were managing the estate of their maternal grandmother contacted some charity workers in Hungary, and they were looking for the brothers. When the brothers were located and put in touch with the lawyers who worked for their grandmother's estate in Germany, they learned that she had died and she left them over four billion pounds of inheritance, which today would be the equivalent of around five billion U.S. dollars. That's a true story. A true story. What an appropriate picture of our inheritance as God's children through the death of the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, we were all lost sinners. We are alienated from God and feeding ourselves on the world's junk before we were redeemed and adopted into God's family. And now through faith in Jesus, we stand to inherit far more than we can ever imagine. But according to Paul, you see, this inheritance that we stand to receive does not come to us without any cost on our part at all. No. Because at the end of verse 17, he tells us that our inheritance is closely related to our willingness to suffer with Christ in order that we may also be glorified with him. You see, Paul wants us to know that there is only one path to glory, and that is the way of suffering. The very same path, it's the very same path that was traveled by the Lord who for the joy that was set before him, we're told, endured the cross, despising the shame, and now is seated at the right hand of God in eternity forever. And inasmuch as we are, as Christians are united to Christ, we too must also take up whatever cross that God has laid on us and faithfully bear it 
looking to Jesus for strength, who is the author and finisher of our faith. Now, don't, don't get me wrong, brothers and sisters. I'm not sitting here trying to pretend like I like suffering more than anybody else, because I don't. Personally, I wish there was some other way. If I had a choice, there would be. But I do know that the times when I'm hurting the most, the times when I'm, I'm, I'm weeping and struggling under the burden of my very own trials, the only real comfort that I experience during those very moments comes to me from the promises of God. And it reminds me that my sufferings won't last forever. There's a day coming when all of God's people who belong to him will finally enter into the glorious inheritance that he so graciously promised to us. Brothers and sisters, I hope you find comfort in the words of the Westminster Confession that says, As Christians, we now enjoy the liberties and privileges of the children of God. We have his name put on us. We have received the spirit of adoption. We have access to the throne of grace with boldness and are unable to cry, Abba, Father. We are pitied, protected, provided for, and chastened by God as by a father, yet are never cast off, but sealed to the day of redemption to inherit the promises as heirs of everlasting salvation. Let us pray. Father, thank you for the inheritance that we will one day receive as the children of God. Thank you, Lord, for giving us faith and uniting us to Jesus, not only in his life and death, but in his sufferings, Lord. As Christians, we are to bear the burden of the sufferings in this life, that we may bear the burdens of Christ's sufferings and build upon his sufferings, Lord. Help us, Lord, to bear the burdens of our suffering, Lord, and to to call out and cry out, Lord, to Jesus Christ, who is our example, as we follow him, O oh Lord, into glory. Thank you so much, Lord, for giving us Jesus. Thank you so much for our inheritance, Lord, which we will one day receive in eternity. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.